Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Aida Rodriguez, and this is another episode of Truth Serum. Um, if you missed the episode yesterday that I did with Godfrey, it was a special episode um, I've been doing. Um, I'm going to be doing those periodically, um, bringing aboard comedians to talk about our issues from a comedic perspective and just to bring you more content. I want to say thank you to all of you who have been showing up. Um, especially on Facebook, you guys are just slamming it. And I just appreciate you sharing and, you know, commenting and engaging and just participating in the conversations that have to do with us. Um, I am here again. And I, I want to say, listen, you don't have to donate money if you don't have it. But if you share the content, if you tell people about it, that is uh, more than enough for us. So I just want to say thank you to all of you who have been showing up um, you are going to be here. I see you already showing up in the comments section. I want to say thank you because today this is an important show for me um, as a progressive, uh, always having to defend my stand uh, with my people and others about what that exactly means and why I choose to be a progressive and vote on policies versus, uh, versus um, being a part of the fandom and now becoming fans of you know politicians as opposed to constituents holding them accountable for the jobs that we employ them um, to do. So uh, in the spirit of fighting the good fight, uh, today I've invited three special people to have this conversation with me. You know that I like to curate these panels and I like to bring the voices that are distinct voices um, from the where from where I stand that are talking about the things that affect you every day. Um, I don't suspect that anyone in the top 1% uh, is watching this show. So if you're watching, then I'm talking to you. Um, and if you are in the top 1%, then shame on you. You devil you. You are a horrible human being. Um, in this <laughs> so today uh, I have uh, Eva Putsova. Is that correct? Did I say it? Eva, Eva Putsova. She's running for Congress in Arizona's first district. Um, her goal is to win her election and represent people, not corporations. Praise. Eva, Eva supports a Green New Deal and Medicare for All, which should be a litmus test in this election cycle. Because you, if you don't su support access to health care for everyone during a pandemic, then what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, Frederick Joseph is an award-winning marketing professional, a 30 under 30 list maker and former national surrogate to two of the most progressive candidates for president in recent history, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. He has a book coming out in 2021 titled The Black Friend. I'm looking forward to that. And he's also responsible for um, donating, getting money to people who needed relief during this horrific pandemic and were people who were out of work. He had a program or a, a, an initiative called Rent Relief. And it was interesting to watch him, you know, wholeheartedly give out money to people and then have to expose some of the racists who collected some of the money from him. Um, so welcome, Frederick and Eva. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. And um, and last but not le least, my, my friend, um, my colleague, uh, journalist, Brooke, Brooke Thomas, is back, and this is her second time here. You've seen her on The Young Turks. You, saw, you see her on Fox Soul. She's doing her own thing. Um, very, very powerful voice for young Black women in America right now who uh, speaks her piece all the time. Hi, Brooke. I can't hear you. Your, your phone, I think you're muted. I think... 
We can't hear you. Is there a reason why I can't hear you? So, Frederick. Yeah. Okay. And Eva? Yes. I'm so, here. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, I just want to, first of all, I want to welcome you all here and say thank you for joining me. Um, this is, you know, we do it, we do it on the ground here. What we do at Truth Serum is we have these conversations. People have been showing up, they've been sharing it, and they've been just, um, they feel good that people are finally speaking up about the things that are important to them. Because um, quite honestly, you've seen politics turn into a circus before your very own eyes, the dumbing down of the world, people being emotionally driven. And uh, so much is being taken away from the people that right now that they just stay in survival mode. We need to have the conversations to push things forward. I would love for each of each of you to just describe what being uh, what being progressive is. What a progressive um, what is progressivism and, and what that means to you? And I'll start with you, Frederick. Yeah, so I think progressivism for me um, entails various things, right? But the but the general um, idea of it is moving forward, right? Um, moving forward for people on the margins, moving forward for um, the most vulnerable of us. And in America, that tends to be, um, you know, people of color, black, brown, um, people who are in the LGBTQ plus community, women, children, um, and the ways in which our systems have been disproportionate for them um, and uh, they haven't been able to move and be as flexible within them or um, as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there's a word I'm looking for that I'm sure that Eva would um, <laughs> would fill that in with, but go ahead, Eva. Um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so, so for, you know, in the US context, progressivism unfortunately means just fighting for basic decency and um, basic programs and services, uh, as uh, you know, Frederick mentioned, it should be you know moving forward. But here in 2020, in this country, we still have to fight for uh, healthcare to be uh, considered a right and not privilege, and for uh, people, working people, to not live in poverty. And so, in this context, it's really uh, fight for life. <laughs> Brooke? Can, does my mic work now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, for me, I think, kind of touching on what Fred was saying, it's just progress for me. I think it means in all aspects of life, progressing. So, of course, that means environmental policy. That means income equality. But it also means racial equality. I think it means, like, progressing towards a system, a country that treats everybody like humans and creates policies in, within our systems that help do so. And I think, unfortunately, it, it looks a lot like um, a little left of typical Democrat policies, but still just as white-centered as before. And we got to fix that. So I, I want to get into this. Um, I, I, I always like to think look at things from the lens of people of color, but I want to stay on the 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 people hijacking being progressive and framing it in this socialist communist uh from this perspective as if um, uh, 
with Latinos, the reason why you see a lot of Latinos who get scared when they hear, specifically if they're from Venezuela or Cuba, they hear socialism and they just run because they're they're like, wow, they're trying to turn this country into Cuba. So I, I just want to I want you guys to express and explain from your perspective why it is important that people understand what socialism, communism really is, what being progressive in America and how socialism in America not only exists, but it only exists to benefit the top percent of the population. So um, I would love for you to just just jump in, you know, and just let me and just explain to people, because basically what I, I would love for this show to be is a basic education for those who don't know what these policies really mean when it comes to us. Well, I can jump in first if that works. Um, so first of all, we, we've had social programs um, for as long as the country's been around, right? Like, and we help them and, and, and put them on a pedestal and, and things of that nature, such as um, when FDR did the New Deal. That was a socialist program actually that came about in, during the Great Depression um, to help lift us out of there, right? Like things like Central Park wouldn't exist without a socialist program. Now, you know, as much as we understand that gaslighting and manipulation happens um, on the right um, from people like Donald Trump, you know, to be quite frank, we also have a bit of that in the Democratic Party and from people who are more moderate um, or not as far left, I suppose, as um, what Brooke was saying. Now, um, the, the issue is that, you know, you have politicians, let's use somebody like, um, let's use a, a, a Pete Buttigieg, right? Pete Buttigieg, um, while I'm sure he's a great guy, his thing is the status quo, right? His whole baseline was built on bringing us back to where we were before Trump. Um, which frankly wasn't good enough for people who were living in poverty, people who were um, struggling to get access to education, healthcare, so on and so forth. Now, what's further left than that is actually trying to create equitable bridges for those issues. But for the people who are in that moderate space, they viewed some of that same gaslighting and some of that same manipulation to say that these ideas of equality are radical because to be frank, it doesn't benefit them. And not only does it not benefit them, it actually causes them to give up some of their own um, spaces that they've created, keeping certain people marginalized. So Eva, you you have an, a responsibility to have to educate people along the way because you're actually running for office. So when you're running for office, people ask you the questions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I would love for you to to speak from a personal perspective in terms of understanding what socialism is mm -hmm. and explaining to the people. So I, I grew up in a totalitarian regime in uh, the former Czechoslovakia. In Slovakia, I was actually 12 years old in 1989 when uh, uh, people decided uh, enough of uh, censorship, enough of uh, uh, kind of totalitarian regime. And so I do understand when you're saying, you know, people who come from, um, you know, socialistic uh, but totalitarian regimes that they uh, kind of conflate the political and economic systems. And uh, I and so I do understand what they mean when they are afraid of these uh, terms, socialism and communism. And the, the reality is that what we progressives are uh, advocating for is not some centrally uh, run state economy 
uh, what we are advocating uh, for is that we have a strong uh, social safety net, that uh, we have programs and policies that ensure that all people can have a decent life in this country. And then, in fact, they have uh, the kind of opportunities that allow them to thrive. And we have not had these programs or these opportunities, really, uh, because we don't have the basics. Uh, people, I think, are so used to living in a constant stress uh, and, and kind of are used to accepting the life as is and the constant hassle and struggle for just food and shelter uh, and um, medical care that we don't really realize that people in uh, the developed um, democratic world, that's not how they live. Uh, I benefited hugely from a fully publicly funded college education. We have public colleges and, and universities, but they are not pub fully publicly funded. Therefore, we have uh, ever-growing tuition. Uh, and so, so I think, you know, for, for people to realize that the world doesn't have to be, or their world, their lives don't have to be uh, the way they've been experiencing in the past. And they actually can get medical care and they don't have to worry about uh, medical bills ruining their future. And we know that can be done because it's been done elsewhere. This is not a pipe dream and it's not really socialism. I think we can debate about the, 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 the philosophical underpinning of socialism or communism. But I think to me, you know, focusing on these labels that to some people who, uh, you know, have been brainwashed by uh, 40 years of, of this country's official uh, position, uh, you know, in a, when it comes to the uh, foreign affairs, uh, that's not going to change. So let's just talk about what do we mean by Medicare for all or universal health care? What do we mean by every single person being able to go to a college uh, and get education? Obviously, you know, uh, meeting the, the admissions criteria uh, for, for the uh, for the college so you know no, I, i'm not saying that everybody needs to go to college uh, so that's a yeah. long rambling <laughs> no and everybody i think we all have to but we need to address the uh disparities in the testing mm -hmm. criteria to go to right. college based on the education system that some people have based on the neighborhood yeah. they live based yeah. on white supremacy <laughs> yeah Brooke, i'm sorry go ahead no, no, it's okay. I'm sorry. I, but I do think we all have to reprogram our brain and our thinking and how we think it's about things and look at things because I think we all want this. Like, but the uber wealthy and especially this country have like tricked us all into, into doing things that keep them uber wealthy. And it's fascinating. You look at, if you just like go on Twitter, like look at how, I don't want to like pile on, but like someone who is obviously not in, a big billionaire, but who's doing well bagging on people who work nine to fives, people who are working nine to fives, bagging on people who are collecting unemployment in the middle of a pandemic, people who are struggling to keep their restaurants open, giving interviews, bagging on people who are finally able to make somewhat of an okay wage with unemployment. When we talk about raising minimum wage, people like who feel like they're really well-meaning people arguing passionately 
that people who work at McDonald's shouldn't make the same amount as people who are paramedics when really shouldn't everybody who makes who works 40 hours a week be able to pay their rent and eat three times a day? Like, you know what I mean? People who feel like they have um, really great arguments as to why things shouldn't be fair. And we've all just been tricked into believing this and not even realizing when um, we're perpetuating it. Yeah. Actually, I think you raised a very good uh, point. And, uh, you know, the psychologists actually studied this. This is actually uh, uh, called last place uh, aversion uh, paradox. And we have to understand that we cannot run away from human psychology. And so not being the last on that imaginable uh, ladder of success is what's driving these sentiments. And uh, it's real, it's happening, you know, in every aspect of our society. And so, so raising that bar for everybody makes the people who are just above the bar uh, feel like they're losing their relative position. Uh, and, you know, we know the culture is so focused on success, on, uh, you know, from, from the day you're born to the day you die, you know, there's competition and contest. And it's, it's just, um, so I, I think we have something to learn from all of this knowledge that psychologists became to understand about, um, about our brains, how we are programmed. So, you know, we, we don't back away from the uncomfortable here. And we do, we do talk about race head on because race has become such a big um, conversation piece right now. People got Black Lives Matter symbol, you know, posters on their company windows because they don't want their windows mm -hmm. broken. But the, the, uh, the reality of it is, is that, you know, right now it is, it is trendy, right? It is mainstream to be an activist. And a lot of people who've been fighting this fight for a long time on the ground are like, finally, are we getting some help? But are they really getting some help? People are co-opting the movements. Um, when we talk about this progressive agenda, Frederick, you were uh, working with Bernie Sanders, you were working with Elizabeth Warren and called the sellout for that, being a, a black man. But you were fighting for the policies because those policies will be more beneficial to black people than the policies that the black people and the brown people who were running we're standing for. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that this is, you know, we I get it all the time, so I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 disheartening. Um, it hurts because the reality of it is is that two things can be true, right? Um, representation can absolutely be important, and at the same time, representation can also not necessarily equal systemic change, right? It's, it's something that you and I spoke about earlier. And we saw that um, with the 2020 primaries um, for the Democratic nom in that, you know, I think Kamala is a phenomenal candidate. I think that she's more progressive um, than any president that we would have had in history. She just wasn't the most progressive or actually a progressive at all real in reality. Um, as a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren or a Julian Castro. But what you find is that, you know, tribalism is one of the main issues that we have um, in this country. The idea that people who look like us, sound like us, feel like us are inherently out to benefit us or move um, an agenda forward um, that's gonna work for all of us, right? It, it's a blind spot that I think that 
um, most of this country has. Um, you know, the, the reality of it is, based on the things that uh, Eva and uh, Brooke were talking about, there were only a few candidates talking about any of those, right? Um, in a world where, or rather in a country where um, Black people have this historic, historic inequity, right? The historic um, disparities in education, healthcare, um, just the, the baseline things, things that we've seen during COVID-19, and yet still these same people that Black people were um, rooting for during the 2020 election are not vying for that, right? Like Joe Biden, for instance, um, is someone who gets a, a, a Black pass, I suppose, or a cookout invite um, based on his proximity to Barack Obama as a Black man, and yet Joe Biden also still doesn't think that education should be free, and instead of defunding the police, he actually said that they should get more funding, and instead of shooting people, just shoot them in the leg. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the people who aren't saying that. Yeah. So everybody, I want to ask you a question because I, I want to ask you um, regard uh, regarding race and culture because mm -hmm. you are in Arizona, which we call Baby Texas. So I know, <laughs> um, how much how much do you get from people telling you to go back to your country or that you're trying to bring your yeah. Well, the, uh, I was on the city council for four years, and uh, what I uh, heard from is essentially that I'm ruining it uh, for, you know, I'm ruining the life Americans have ever known. You know, somehow these progressive ideas that I've been fighting for uh, are in a conflict with the American culture, of course, you know, because I'm, I'm a white, so obviously I have a huge privilege from that perspective. And the moment I open my mouth, it's obvious that I'm an immigrant. Uh, but, you know, I do want to um, just point out, like in this district where I am, which is Arizona's first district, uh, this district has the largest Native American population of any district. So, uh, 25% of all people who reside here are, are indigenous. And, and uh, the, the racism can have, you know, all kinds of shades and, and flavors, right, as, as we all know. And in this part of the country, uh, it's so obvious that um, the racism is doing well. You know, in the city, the largest city in the district, Flagstaff, 52% of all arrests are Native Americans. Uh, and, you know, when you look at what they're being arrested for, it's a nonviolent um, kind of offenses. So, um, you know, that's the flavor um, in this district. And uh, it's uh, and it's uh, institutionalized and, you know, it's, it's systematic. You know, the fact that Navajo Nation has the highest COVID-19 rate uh, of any state or territory is not by accident. It is because of the official policies of these countries that first it was a policy of genocide, I mean, really genocide, and then, you know, policies of dislocation uh, and assimilation. And those policies still exist to some degree today. And, uh, you know, this is why we have, you know, 30% of people on the Navajo Nation don't have running water. 15,000 households on the Navajo Nation don't have electricity. Hundreds and hundreds of miles of their roads are unpaved. Kids have to uh, spend two, three hours on a bus uh, going to and from school uh, under, you know, non-pandemic uh, situation. Um, so these are, they're systemic issues. And I do believe that 
we have to deal with that with, with those and we have to prioritize that's the thing is like we have to put money where our mouth is and we have to invest in these communities and we have to invest in these communities even if we don't invest elsewhere so we, we really and that is the hardest part for the rest of the folks to realize that by putting like in this case first people first or you know in black uh, communities putting black uh, people first means that somebody will be second some money will not go to those uh, no, other no. uses. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that because when we have these conversations, we, we tend to, uh, the First Nations people are, usually, are oftentimes left out of the conversations. We have become so used to erasing the struggle of First Nations people and, and we lose intersectionality because a lot mm -hmm. of American people have First mm -hmm. Nations roots and ancestry and there is a there is an intersection of the two, um, but and, and and native women go missing, and we don't mm -hmm. hear about them, and they get murdered, and we don't hear about it. But when we talk about creating equity with this pol these policies, Brooke, I think it's important for people to understand that uh, there are no reparations for Black people in America, and there's a lack of education in the communities or quality education because the teachers are overworked, they're underpaid, they don't have the book that the books that they need. So when we talk about uh, a free education, which is not a free education because we pay in taxes to potentially create a military that can go to outer space, but we cannot create, uh, you know, funds to create better schools for our people in, in, a, in our communities. What do you say to people when they talk about how free healthcare, I, I rather work for mine, like how we're, I'm not paying so that those people can get free healthcare. Yes. Well, I think the pandemic said um, a lot to a lot of people who were mistakenly um, not wanting to share what little they do have. But I also think, you know, it's not about like if you give, if you focus on this group, then this group comes last. The situation that we are currently living in is so broken and awful and unfair that focusing on these groups just sort of in inches towards like equaling things. We're never gonna get to a position in this country where, you know, Terry Cruz's worst nightmares come true. You know, um, it's, <laughs> it's just things are so far off right now. We're just trying to share. We're it's like, so it's just not even realistic. So you have to focus on these groups in order to just help us like get back, not even back, it's never been there, but just like help us help help share help us get better you have to and also like you have to listen to those people i think that's a big part of progressivism that is um it, it is just erasing i think diversity and inclusion that has to i mean that that's progress right that's what i mean I, that's what i thought but it doesn't seem to be what a lot of the leaders in the movement think i think elizabeth warren did a really great job of um focusing on people who didn't look like her and listening to them and bringing them into the conversation. But overall, we've got to start listening to people who look like me, look like you, Ida, you know, people who don't look like us, but who aren't in, in, in the power. Um, and it, it's not, there's, that's just not happening. And it, we can't reach true progress until that does. I mean, like, it just, I feel like I'm, saying crazy things but yes we all feel that way they yeah. feel like we're crazy but when you look at 
when you look at, when you go on social media, whenever you are brave enough to do that and you see all these small businesses going out of business and you see the article that Jeff Bezos is teetering off into becoming a trillionaire. And then you see people fighting in this country for that saying, if somebody works for it, you don't work for a trillion dollars by yourself. Like you don't work for a trillion dollars by yourself. I don't, and you, and you do it by not paying people well, not letting them go to the bathroom, keeping them on assembly lines as if they are, you know, in concentration camps. We have to be honest about what it is. And we can't have these conversations because when you start speaking out to that, it is labeled as being un-American. And now you see that America is the passport, your passport is worth nothing. Other countries are now shutting their borders down saying, no, you guys are the plague. And we don't want to, we don't want to look within ourselves and really address these issues that are ruining what our country is supposed to be representing, right? Because it, it hasn't, it never has. So, you know, yeah. Good. Sorry, I, didn't, I interrupted you. No, 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 go ahead. No, it's like, I love that you brought up passports because our passport is not looking like it was. But and the joke online, it was like, you know, people who buy Jordans, you need to get a passport. You can't do anything with that passport. Now, you can tell those Jordans on StockX, you rent. <laughs> so, <laughs> who's laughing now? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, the environment is just punched down. That's just, that. that's what makes people feel good. And then everyone doesn't realize while they're punching down that they're down. Yeah. So, yeah, we're getting a little bit of our own medicine right now. I mean, uh, it wasn't that long time ago where people from the country where I grew up, Slovakia, couldn't just pick up a passport and go to this country. No, we had to stand in line in front of U.S. Embassy to get visa. And we only got the visa if we could prove that we are uh, wealthy enough or we have some credible reason to come back to this, uh, to you know, to back home. And so I think this idea that um, you know, America is so used to being traveled and welcomed because we are a very wealthy country and being welcome everywhere. And suddenly things are slightly different because we are not able to uh, control a virus spreading in uh, you know, our backyard. Um, it's, it, I think it's, it's very, you, know, you, you do feel when you come from a country where you cannot just travel uh, easily, you feel inferior. Uh, and suddenly we are, as you know, Americans, we un start understanding what it means to not have the freedom to travel. Yeah, we, it's humbling. Frederick, you were gonna say something. Um, no, I mean, I was just gonna actually agree with everything that was gonna be said, or that was said rather. Um, you know, Brooke brought up Elizabeth Warren and I wanted to call something out just in relation to progressive policies. One of the reasons why um, Elizabeth Warren um, ended up being my candidate that I um, was a surrogate first um, for before Bernie Sanders is because there's intersectionality that's still needed um, even in the progressive space, right? So it's not enough to say, oh, everyone should go to school for free. Well, if that's the case, right, let's say because of the historic, you know, disproportionate um, systems and inequities that we have, white people are here in terms of access, right? And let's say black, people, First Nations people, so on and so forth, right here. If we make college free for everyone with no understanding of the intersectionality of, you know, white supremacy, then this is going to keep on happening, right? If everyone has free health care, then this is going to keep on happening. The same gap still exists. And I think with what Elizabeth Warren did in listening to black and brown people would say, okay, 
college, yeah, everyone should have access to college and black people should also have, right? Everyone should have access to healthcare and black women also are not listened to, therefore they should also have. And I think that's one of the things that needs to grow in the progressive space is an understanding of the intersectionality of the oppressions. Well, you know, what I want to say is like, I kept, uh, when uh, we were talking about earlier about Obama, you can't possibly support anything or love anything if you cannot look at it critically without being able to look for something. These, these are the things that are weak because nothing is perfect. And that, that exists within the progressive party as well. Whereas we can say, this is probably where I rest because it, the policies support what I stand for, but there, we, there are areas where we can grow as a, uh, as a result of what this represents and what it's supposed to be doing, which is progress, right? And so I will say this, a lot of people keep bringing up um, Clyborne because people wanna talk about Joe Biden and they wanna talk about how black people have been moved emotionally, Latinos as well, and the, the, uh, uh, the pimping of people of color. Whereas for me, because I started in the game voting for policies, I registered independent when I started voting because I realized that I was not gonna be a fan of a politician. I, I, was, I wanted to vote for the policies. Now when we, we have these conversations, because of what's in the White House right now is so toxic and so bad, we now can't even use utilize that on, on our side to say, we still gotta hold Joe Biden accountable and we still have to make sure that the policies benefit us because there are a lot of people right now who feel that Joe Biden is not going to really make that big of a difference uh, other than he's not going to be outwardly crude, rude, abrupt, and dumb. So how do we deal with making sure that people feel that that they are being honored for their votes, even if Donald Trump is not the, the choice? How do we hold uh, Joe Biden accountable to people of color who is in the moment of where we've seen Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and uh, George Floyd, and so on and so forth, talking about uh, investing even further into the police department and doubling down on this crime bill? <laughs> so I think there's something else going on. I, I do think that we need is intergenerational solidarity. And, and there is a, you know, this, this big, um, I guess, um, conundrum that we are in is because of this, um, uh, you know, young and old um, conflict, right? Because I, I do think that we are, I have to believe that we are on the right trajectory, but we running into this obstacles, you know, all the people say that, well, why should you have free college? I had to pay for my, my own, right? Uh, and, and so we need that solidarity, that intergenerational, um, you know, on top of the interracial, um, you, you know, we need that. We, we need it to go both ways, obviously, uh, for various reasons. But what we've been seeing is that, you know, the generation that ho still holds power, holds um, power of money, social capital, political capital, uh, and has benefited uh, from the kind of policies that we've seen over the last 40, 50 years, is uh, not quite as willing to recognize that, you know, the, the, the next generation uh, should have uh, 
that power and we are asserting the power right and despite these challenges and so so i think that's a big uh, piece of the puzzle that you know i wish from the, the you know the, the older generation to say no you guys you know we're going to vote for you because you understand climate change better than we can understand because the our lifespan is is a different point well, if, if, you know, I think that, um, and I, I'm going to speak from um, the, the lens of the black community, you know, one of the things that we say on a regular basis is that, you know, blackness isn't a monolith, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and that is an absolutely true statement. So, you know, one of the things that I hate that people do that we assume is that um, black people all have the same kind of voting record, the same um, agenda for the black community. And, and, I, and I bring this up in relation to um, the mentioning of uh, Clyburn. Because one of the things that I saw was that, you know, South Carolina um, chose Joe Biden, right? And, and that is something that happened. And because of, and it's inherently rooted in white supremacy, that people said that because South Carolina black people chose Joe Biden, that means that black people chose Joe Biden nationally. And that's just not the case, right? Because at the end of the day, to the point that Ava made, um, I don't even think that in our community it's just a matter of, um, age, it's also a matter of the haves and have-nots, right? Like, I sit in a place of um, immense privilege, and thus a lot of the tables I sit at are with other Black people who have immense privilege. And I'm typically the only person who's a progressive and the person who's radical about certain things because other Black people are just oftentimes happy to have something. We're so conditioned at times um, in um, our comfortability, if you would, once we do get access that we want to keep it that way, right? Like getting a Joe Biden um, was the only agenda that some black people had from a financial standpoint, right? Because they wanted to keep the benefits and the comfortability that they had. Um, so again, you know, I, I think that in our community, there's there's layers to to why people are voting differently. Brooke? I, yeah, I, I I was like itching to jump in on that because I agree. I think that there were there are layers within our community and I think that while we also understand that we're not a monolith, the fact that we're not a monolith should mean make it important for us to include all aspects of the conversation. And I didn't see that happening. I, I do totally agree with what you're saying as far as like what happened in South Carolina doesn't necessarily mean every single one of us, but it was such a massive, powerful statement that um, all of those people should have been included in the conversation a year before that. And they weren't as strongly. It's, it's just kind of like when um, Representative John Lewis came out and endorsed, I think it was Biden at the time. And I just saw so many people who I thought that um, were as progressive as me, like calling him stupid and a coward and saying that he didn't care about us. And I, that just, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I don't think, I'm not cool with this because I, what... What I know of Representative Lewis is what I look at as progressivism. What he's fought for his entire life helped pro helped us progress to where we are now, as far as Black people in America. And so, although that may not have been what I agreed with, my first thought is to try to understand where he's coming from. And I wish that there was more like, yes, we should be critical. And yes, we are allowed to disagree with our elders, but shouldn't we desire to bring them into the conversation and just try to find some understanding where you can still end up disagreeing? But right. um, 
Do you think, I, I just think I was going to say, do you think the push, what happened in South Carolina was more because uh, it was more of solidarity in, in the spirit of we don't want more Donald Trump than it was we love Joe Biden? I, I was. Right. I think that um, the super progressive movements weren't as inclusive as. Um, I mean, and I think this is somebody who wasn't on necessarily like on that team. I, I think just like someone who considers herself progressive, like didn't feel like the movement was as inclusive I, I, at all. So um, as I think people would, it, it just, there, there was too much for me of shut up, we're trying to help you. And um, if you don't already see yourself on this side, how could you, if that's a lot of the energy you're getting, if you're a more conservative black American. You know, it, you know what I mean? I, it just, I think it was just not as inclusive as it should have been. And I think we should learn from this. And I, I'm, I'm, what I struggle with now is that I don't see us learning from that. It's like, they'll all die soon. That seems to be like what the argument is. Oh, they'll all die soon because the kids, the kids thought this. And um, that's not, I don't know, that's not the world I want to live in. So I was gonna. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> so I was. So I. I think what Brooke is saying is absolutely correct. I think there's numerous things that were true, right? Um, I was on the ground in South Carolina um, for weeks at a time um, for Warren and things like that, and I think I did see some of that for sure. And I and I've had that same criticism of um, the progressive movement as a whole. Um, and every movement, you know, is not inclusive of black people. But um, but I've had that I've had that same criticism. But I also think the other thing that we have to realize, and this is actually an age thing, is and also a wealth thing, and also just a, a history thing, is the goalposts are going to always be different, right? Like in South Carolina, what I was told oftentimes was, we're just trying not to get lynched. We're just trying not to have Confederate flags all over the place. You know, if we can get to to that where I can like go down the street without worrying that somebody's going to be emboldened to attack me, I'm fine. I don't need healthcare. I don't, I don't need these other things. You know, that's what people were telling me. Like, don't need it. Can you just give us Biden? Cause we know, you know, white people love Biden, you know, white people. And that's another thing, actually, black people are oftentimes scared of what they think white people will allow us to have. Right. Like, oh, white people won't give us Bernie. White people won't give us Elizabeth Warren. Therefore, let's just rock with whoever white people are willing to give us. So, Eva, you are running for office and you hear the you hear the the cries of the people. Right. Mm -hmm. The people of color, the, the you know, all of them, indigenous, Latino, black. When if you get an office, what do you think are some of the first things that you'll be able to get done that you're going to charge for? Um, and, and because it's like a big hole right now and we're trying to put a little bandaid over it. But there's so many it, it's it's everywhere. Like it's just exploding all over the place. And we're, we're learning that America is not as great as we've always thought that it was or have been trained to believe that it was. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things you want to work on first? So, so obviously, you know, as a progressive, I support these um, big uh, transformative policies like Medicare for All, like the Green New Deal. Uh, I want to see a complete immigration overhaul so we can have actually a system that's humane, that we treat people as human beings and not, not um, something um, inferior. Um, 
But I think there is also, you know, reality. We have 435 uh, members of uh, Congress. Um, the, the progressive faction is um, small and we're hoping it's going to be bigger. So as a voting bloc, it's going to have hopefully more power. Um, but we have to be also realistic to, and to understand that, um, yeah, we, we have to like get you know, the entire uh, democratic uh, delegation behind some of these policies. So, you know, there, there are multiple roles that uh, elected representatives play. One thing is how you vote, what you vote for, and when you decide not to vote for something, even though majority of uh, the Democrat, your Democratic colleagues are going to vote for it. I mean, we are, most Democrats always, you know, when they think that the, the budget is good enough, they vote for it, even though uh, for years and years and years, half of that budget goes to Department of Defense. The, we had our pro so-called progressive voting for it right and so i think it's important to um use the vote strategically um as elected representatives um and i know that from just my local city council member uh stin that you have also access to media and what we need is to normalize uh these good for people policies and rather than allowing them to be demonized like if, if people, you know, like if Biden doesn't like Medicare for all um, or, you know, some of these other moderates, they don't want uh, every single person in this country to have uh, health care, then where is their proposal? W what have they done? And I think we need to just uh, use our voices with public to for them to see that there is actually um, political uh, or segment of, of uh, uh, representatives who are willing to fight for the people and put people first and not corporate interests because underneath it all, you know, we're fighting over all kinds of things, but we have to realize that in reality, it's the corporations who are running this country, who are buying politicians. And so, um, so obviously those big policies are on my radar, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I want to use my voice and my personal experience uh, and talking to people and, and make and feeling them like it's OK to get behind these big, bold policies that may that these are not just some uh, pie in the sky policies or dreams. The, we should we should be more ambitious. I feel like what, what I struggle with is how come today's Americans are so they, they lack ambition when it comes to the quality of life they could have and why cannot we just say no we deserve it we we deserve to uh, live to not live in poverty right we deserve to have healthy environment and not constantly being threatened by fires or floods or um, all kinds of things that are a result of climate change. We deserve to have healthcare that's high quality and that it's not going to ruin us financially. And we deserve education that's available to us where we live and it's high quality and we do not have pay out of pocket because as a society we recognize this as being so important and so foundational. How do we get the information to the people when the the, the political mm -hmm. land right now has become so toxic? You have the governor of Georgia suing the mayor of Atlanta 
for not wanting, uh, for not man, for mandating masks, right? Mm -hmm. You have, um, you have Orange County in California fighting Governor Newsom because people, they've politicized wearing masks for your well-being in this country. Donald Trump ha and his administration have made a, a, a strategize a plan to prey on people who don't have the benefit of a good education or, and, and let's not even say good, just say an education, are too busy working and they are being they are being puppeted through through emotional stuff. So to tell somebody wearing a mask is somebody infringing on your constitutional rights, which people walking around with made up HIPAA cards saying HIPAA says I don't have to. My chiropractor says I don't have to wear a mask. How do we get sensible information to the people when the media itself is participating in the circus? And we are basically fighting for our, we're fighting for our, our lives at this point, right? So how do we get this information to them? <laughs> I feel like those people just can't be helped because it's so hypocritical. Like the same people who want to go into a business and say, I have a card, I don't have to wear a mask, are also the same people who would fight for that same business not selling a cake to a gay person. And then also fight for a young woman not to be able to have, to choose to have an abortion, like her own body. So I like, what can you do to somebody who just wants to be on top? Who like, no logic, just because I like to do what I like to do. Like, what can you truly say to somebody who hears, this is how you protect other human beings from potentially dying. And it's not even a real deep, inconvenience because you're supposed to have your behind at home all the time anyway. What do you say to somebody who says, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to help. Right. You know, I, I feel it's like, like no, no. no, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's exactly what you said. I, I feel like we spend honestly so much time on trying to um, help the people who don't want to be helped. Right. Like the people who are, um, to be quite frank, setting back um, our society in, in many ways, right? Like the people who are putting our lives in danger as opposed to focusing on the people who are trying to get it right, you know? Um, so while, you know, while I, I, I do feel as though, you know, the person in my building who tried to get in the elevator with me two days ago and didn't wear a mask, um, I feel bad for them because they're an idiot but I'm worried more about giving my little brother COVID if this person has it, right? And I think that's the work right now is actually making sure that they, they that they actually are lawfully have to stay away from other people. Frankly, I think that's the actual work at the moment. Ever you stand in a in a unique position as someone in public office, and you have to deal with people coming at you from the place of fix it fix it. And it's from both sides because both sides feel dignified in their stand. So where, how do you, how do you, what do you, how do you get the real information out to people? So, so I'm not in a public office now. I was on the local city council for four years, but I'm, I'm not because I'm running for Congress, but hopefully eventually soon I will be. And so I, I do think that there is, you know, the, on one hand, I think the, what we're experiencing in some communities is a lack of political courage because I think what the um, mayor of Atlanta has done is um, 
exactly what all mayors should be doing, even though when they're dealing with governors who just don't care about the health of the people and they just care about uh, some short-term profit of uh, the the corporate world. And so I think at all levels, what we need to promote and support these people who do have that political courage that say, just like uh, mayor of Atlanta saying, well, good, sue me, you know, see you in court. I think we need more of that. And that uh, is and can be very powerful. Uh, I think we are in a moment which is very scary because, you know, we we are, we don't have this virus under control. Uh, People, you know, we do need actually some national standards. I mean, we see it from countries that were successful in, um, in, in, in kind of fighting the virus, that, you know, there were early and clear, not just guidelines, mandates. Uh, and, you know, this country is, you know, what's also wonderful about this country, the diversity and the, the kind of, you know, state um, ha- states have different arrangements and then local uh, municipalities do different things. Um, but it, that also shows huge weakness when it comes to dealing with pandemic. And we have to think about the future, not just this, but what about this can be, there can be another virus, another thing. Like this is where, you know, talking about national security, this is where we need to invest money in healthcare. That's our, the greatest, uh, you know, national insecurity that we have, not something overseas. So when I when I was saying that you're in public office, I was speaking hypothetically. I, <laughs> Thank you. To you, I was giving it to you. So I, I, you come from the Czech, uh, and this question is going to come from the from the Czech Republic, where the 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 um, the religion is predominantly Christian, Catholic, right? Black uh, people in America, Latinos tend to be Christian. Um, we have some Muslims. What do you say to people who say that the progressive agenda is part of this agenda to um, get rid of black people and brown people because they're pushing LGBTQ issues. They are uh, pro-abortion. Like those are because that that those are some of the things that I get. Like that. Mm-hmm. I, what that's like a white person's uh, stand. Like you're you 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 are you trying to get rid of us with you know pushing the gay people and pushing the gay agenda, and I, it's become. You know, we've gotten reduced to having those conversations, even when we're trying to talk about policies to improve the lives and the quality of lives of people. Yeah. So I I grew up um, as an atheist, and so I I personally uh, have no religious uh, views. Uh, but of course, you know, I do think that uh, people have the right to uh, exercise religion. I do think that in this country, we're very bad about separating um, uh, state and church. And I think uh, that has been used politically. Uh, And these veg issues, these social issues, then become uh, the the litmus test issues and people vote about it. Even though, you know, like I've been getting, I have to tell you, I've been getting in the last about two months, tons of cards from older folks in the district uh, telling me about how abortion is bad, right? People who probably have no need for uh, reproductive health care, 
and yet they're so focused on that because they are being played. And I think this is the part that we, uh, on the progressive side, we have to figure out how to w work with people who um, want the same, um, you know, economic prosperity for everybody. And I recognize that, uh, uh, you know, we have to figure out how to make tolerance uh, cool, right? Like, regardless of what you think, that's okay. As long as what you think is not actually uh, restricting rights of others. Um, but, with, you know, we, we know with the with Trump uh, administration, a lot of this just got normalized. I mean, it's not like racism was not here. I'm sure people who are now saying just openly racist things have been racist before. And they were thinking, but it was not quite, or it was becoming less socially acceptable to actually verbalize and put. And, and so I, I do think that um, we have, you know, responsibility to talk about these issues. You know, to me, you know, talking about LGBTQ is like, no, this is, I mean, in 2020, we, we, sh we should not accept intolerance toward LGBTQ fault or people of color or people of other religions right and so talking about tolerance solidarity um these should be the kind of um uh, uh, i guess values that you know we teach not just kids but i guess adults <laughs> i see you both uh, so okay I think also like within ourselves, this is just like coming as a black woman, like we, we also have to be inclusive and more understanding of each other because I, I have heard that. I hear that when you from look very from some people, but when you talk about the LGBTQ community and fighting for their rights and also um, immigration and uh, even recently the Jewish community, how factually incorrect it is to separate those two because the LGBT community mm -hmm. is not non-black. The Jewish community is not non-black. Like, how do you forget about Drake? Like, you, you know what I mean? Arguably, outside of Beyonce, the biggest pop star is a black Jewish man. Also, like, um, immigration. A, you're a Latin American and black, Ida. Like, and so um, I, I just think that when people have those conversations, like, my first thing is, is just that, like, okay, well, if you care about black people, that these are black people. How can you... How can you separate something that includes a stall? Yeah. yeah. Fred on Twitter, you go in and you speak up on transphobia and homophobia. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that the word tolerance for me has, has never worked, right? Because um, I don't think it's a matter of being tolerant of people because that would say that there's something to be intolerant of. You know, let people do what the hell people are going to do, be whoever people are going to be. And to the point that Brooke made, you know, two things can absolutely be true, right? You can't fight for black people and not fight for all black people, right? You can't talk about um, the systemic issues that impact uh, uh, black men and not also talk about those issues impacting black women, right? We can't talk about um, the, the, the inequities in finding, you know, um, a job or healthcare and not understand that the most marginalized within the black community are black trans women. Because you know, a, a rising tide uh, uh, lifts all ships is the way I view it. And and if we are absolutely working with the most marginalized of us, that means that the conditions for the rest of us are increasing and getting better anyway. 
People are, someone keeps saying, why don't, any, why won't anyone say African-American? I don't use that term. Uh, the people who I know who are very close to, who are, um, you know, leaders from all across, uh, all across the aisle, don't use, don't say, don't call themselves African-American. Um, they don't call themselves with, you know, I don't call myself uh, Hispanic American. I don't call myself, I don't use the labels that white people created to, to classify us. So that's why you don't hear me say African American, but I would love to ask Brooke and- It's not inclusive. Yeah, it is. And, and so- like, So then you leave out Jamaican people, you leave out Haitian people, you leave out people, either Dominican people, Puerto Rican people, like, I, it's not inclusive. It's yeah, at all. The, the only time that I, I, I I'm black, I'm blickety black. But the only yeah, time, the only time that I ever use African American is if we're talking in a historic context, right? Like if we're talking about, let's say, um, how the disproportionate things have impacted maybe a certain group before um, other groups, um, you know, uh, you know, migrated, so on and so forth. And then I might use African Americans in a historical context, but it, but it being inclusive of the, the diaspora um, of black people, I, I am black. That we talk about, because um, I, 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 I understand what happened in America to black people in America, you know, as even with, with regards to slavery in Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, Cuba, Haiti, first of all. And then when, so when you exclude Haiti who kicked down the door for liberation, you can't have Toussaint Le Overture and Marcus Garvey, and you can't have Louis Farrakhan, and you can't have, you know, uh, you 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 can't have the people Malcolm X, and you you can't have them because they're Caribbean black people. So that is why I say black people. Um, but and, and I digress. But I like to address some of the questions that come through from the people who watch because I want people to know that this is an interactive experience, and all questions are valid. So I, I hope that that was an answer for you. Um, the, the path forward, because that's what being progressive is about. How do we, where do we start uh, today in order for us to have some semblance of results in November that are going to benefit marginalized communities? And it begins, and I'm not, and, and I shouldn't just, I shouldn't just say November. I mean, this year, because I'm talking, you have to think locally you have to think regionally you cannot just think nationally because a lot of these local politicians are supporting policies that are affecting your well-being primaries it's where it is i mean in the primaries is when we at the local you know state or national level are choosing between uh progress and let's go just go back to pre-trump era i and 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 unfortunately that window of opportunity when we can make that choice is going to end by you know essentially august i don't know there there's some primary still in september i think massachusetts or something but but on, on a national level and so i you know i think people there's so few people voting in primaries, actually. You know, that's the scary thing is that that's when really we are deciding the future of this country at all levels. And yet we, we, we don't quite, you know, because they're party primaries and the parties have interest in not making primaries, I think. Um, and so the rest of us, the... The, the progressive institutions that exist outside of parties 
um, they need to take it on making voting in a primary a thing. And it's not quite a thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, and I'm happy that you called that out because part of the reason that it's not a thing is to what I said earlier because it benefits some of the establishment mm -hmm. Dems mm -hmm. for it not to be a thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the honest conversation. And I think that there needs to be accountability around the ways in which we ourselves, ourselves being, you know, I guess the Democrats, um, have tried to keep people miseducated or uneducated and misinformed. Um, and have let have leaned into some of the problematic and and honestly racist practices of mm -hmm. the same people that we're combating, right? Like we're in this moment now where, um, specifically talking about November, you can't even criticize Joe Biden in any way, shape, or form without being called um, a bro, a Bernie bro, or a um, or a secret Trump supporter. You know, if I say like the man just said that people should be shot in the legs instead of killed, that is, I have a right to criticize that, right? And, and if we want him to get better, then I should criticize it. But Especially that's- The majority yeah. of the people he's talking about look like you. Precisely. So yeah. And, and I think that's the issue that we have, a lack of accountability that two things can be true. Uh, you know, so I'm hoping that accountability is one of the things that we, we uh, indoctrinate people into um, moving forward. Brooke? What was the question again? It was, <laughs> how, do we, how do we move forward? How, how do we dispel all of this? How do we, you know, you know, how do we? Uh, and I know you said like, not just November, but I, I think that like everybody has to look within and start really focusing on fighting for all of us. I think yeah. we all struggle with like true inclusion, all of us. They've divided and us. some of us way more, huh? They've divided us so well that we, we... So well that, yeah, we don't even realize when we're fighting against each other and how um, that actually doesn't help at all. Um, yeah. We don't have to put anybody else down to bring ourselves up. And just like Fred was saying, like men have to fight for women. Um, cis people have to fight for the trans community. All of us straight people have to fight for the LGBTQ community. White people have to start and like really actually listen to black people. Um, so I think that everybody can really, like, really try to focus on inclusion. I want to thank all of you for joining me on this conversation. This is for me has been like one of the best ones because I think it's so important for people to understand what it means uh, to be progressive. Because when people say to me, when I heard Joe Biden say we're going to go back to the way things were before Donald Trump. We cannot ignore that when, when we go back, that does not mean good for us. And so for me, it's like, I don't want to go back. I want to move forward because I, I can't think mm -hmm. an administration that has been a good administration with regards to people of color, you know, uh, black, brown, natives, uh, it, women. Like when you think about it historically, where, where is, is, is the good? You know, I just want to finish off by saying this. Um, you know, you, your handles are up. Check out Eva's, uh, Eva's uh, w website and look what she stands for. And you should do that with everybody that you you vote for. You should always know where you who you're funding, 
Work, don't don't fund your own oppression. Stop investing in companies that are investing in the worst things for you. And as well as politicians, like you have to be aware of your own habitat because we got to take care of ourselves at this point. This is this is war. Um, you were going to say something, Frederick. Oh, I, I want to say this quickly here at Truth Serum. We understand very well what has happened to Black people in America and the American descendants of slaves. We also acknowledge all of the Black people throughout the world because being Black is global. It is not just an American thing. We continue to fight for the reality that nuance exists and two things can exist at the same time. There can be an agenda to try to get rid of Black people all over the world by enforcing gay agendas and at the same time the gay people who and the lgbtq people in our communities belong to us and they are ours and we should care for them as well so we can have these nuanced conversations which i dare to have because i dare y'all to cancel me every day what we're not going <laughs> to is ignore the reality and and ignore logic because people we know the about the effeminization of black men we know that black men were raped during slavery and that was a mechanism to to you know to destroy the black family nobody is saying that that's not true when you say black lives matter i'm addressing some of the comments black lives the matter is not just an organization but an ideology that black lives should matter and whether you support the organization or not you should be in support of lives of black people uh, being of just as much value as white lives in this country and abroad so when we have these conversations, we're not gonna ignore this. We can talk about what has happened, who has received reparations and who hasn't, but we're not gonna ignore the fact that my grandmother's grandmother was a slave in Puerto Rico and that Spain was not kind to its slaves. We're not gonna romanticize slavery abroad uh, in, in the Caribbean and we're not gonna romanticize slavery in the house. That is the point of me doing this show because this is the foolishness that is out there and we have to start dispelling this. So um, I want to give you, you um, the last word. Um, in addition to what you're doing and what you want people to support, I would like for you to let people know what your personal ideology is um, for a, to see a better world. And I'm going to start with you, Brooke. My personal ideology to see a better world. Oh, I don't even know. I, 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 I don't even know if I like briefly know how to answer that. But I think... Um, it just, I, I feel like I keep saying the same thing over and over again, and I feel really passionate about it, but I do really want us to really sit back and reprogram ourselves, our own brains, how we speak about other people. And um, I like what you were just touching on, Ida, about, um, yes, like descendants of slavery, we have a different beginning, but um, when it comes to things like police brutality, nobody's pulling you over and saying, okay, who are your ancestors? If you're black, you're black. And I just, I want everybody to like really mean it, like in, in their actions, because racism isn't just about what's in your heart, it's about your actions or sometimes like your lack of actions and inclusivity sucks in every company, in every industry, in every aspect of this country right now. And um, even within our own communities, I, I really want us to do better. And then also check out my podcast. It's called Controlling Our Narrative. Little small plug there. Thank you for having me, Ida. I love you here. Um, Frederick, you got um, that. You know, I think uh, last words, um, I want people to understand something very important that, um, you know, we talk about going back to, to normal before Trump and things like that. And, and as was said a second ago, 
um, normal before Trump wasn't equitable. Um, it wasn't fair for people who look like me and probably people who look like you or someone who you love, right? Donald Trump is a symptom of a condition um, that he simply took advantage of, a condition that's, that's you know, existed um, since the Mayflower arrived um, on these shores. Um, so that being said, uh, my, my view for the world, my, my hope for everybody is, I, I guess I'll lean into power to the people. Um, you know, I do believe in Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm tired of telling people that my life matters. Um, I'm, out, I'm actually about trying to get power for my um, people now. Um, and, and in terms of what I'm doing, um, my debut book, uh, The Black Friend, um, pre-order is next month. And you can follow me at Fred T. Joseph to learn more about whatever else I'm talking about. Uh, Eva. Uh, so my personal ideology is to operate from a position of generosity and power. And that's what I hope that, you know, I would hope for so many other people to um, embrace. Uh, too many people are even approaching this election from a position of fear. They're, they're going to, they're telling us they're going to vote out of fear. No, vote out of power. Uh, and I, you know, I really believe that, you know, we can have a just, generous, inclusive, peaceful and healthy, not just this country, but the entire world. Um, for the next few weeks, uh, for me, it's going to be, uh, you know, the final stretch of the campaign. Our primary election is on August 4th. And um, if those people who are watching us uh, have spare time or spare money, we know how to put it to good use and you can go to evaforcongress.com and then under volunteer, you can sign up for our, one of our phone banking shifts. And of course, if you have spare change, uh, we would love to uh, invest it in people-centered policies um, for a candidate, me, who cannot be bought. So thank you so much for being here. I want to say uh, thank you to the people who've tuned in. And uh, the reason why we do Truth Serum is so that we can have these conversations, speaking about issues about us from the most honest place. Um, but I want to encourage every single one of you who are out there listening, living in Twitter land and living on Instagram land and Facebook land and YouTube land, it's very easy to sit at a computer to sit at a, uh, at a, on your phone and criticize people from the place where you're not taking action. Um, so every single one of us is responsible for making this world a better place for ourselves and our children. And even though you may not be Oprah or you may not be Jeff Bezos and you can't do it on that grand scale, you can change the world by utilizing your, your words and making sure they matter instead of trying to bully people and try to perpetuate the worst things about human beings. It's very easy to sit around. The reason I wanted to say that today is because I've been watching what's going on and people with suicide attempts and death and things are happening and we are watching them in real time. How are you contributing to the bettering, the better making humanity better? And um, at the end of the day, all the money that Steve Jobs had did not alleviate that cancer. So that should just remind you that we're all just human beings and we should always remember to be at least the best human beings that we can be. Um, I want to say thank you to all of you for joining me and having this conversation. I mean, we're going to share this one. And listen, make sure that you uh, vote. Vote for your yeah. grandmama. Vote for your granddaddy. Vote for all of those before you who couldn't vote. Um, it, it, they, they, if, it didn't, if it didn't matter, they wouldn't try to make it so hard. 
So trust me, your voting matters. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. We'll see you next week.